The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. We're kinky done differently. What women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun discussion about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy, as well as an intimate discussion about how to connect with our own authentic self, with questions asked by a guy. And now, here is your host, John, or as we call him around here, hi there, catsuit. Hi there, Nookie. It's a simple statement, you will please me. And today, we are pleased to be joined by an international dominatrix who travels the world with her special kind of kink and her love of latex. Eva O, AKA Mistress Eva, is an international dominatrix of Chinese, Burmese, English, and Irish descent, and grew up across Asia, Australia, and Europe. Her unique career began in 2011 when she left an unfulfilling corporate job to train at Sydney's renowned Salon Kitties Dungeons. She has since held select arrangements from Berlin to Cape Town, London to Singapore, Dubai to New York, and back. Mistress Eva holds a deep enthusiasm for BDSM slave training and total power exchange. Currently based in Bali, Indonesia, she runs an online BDSM training play space, youwillpleaseme.com, and tours the world for select engagements only. In addition to her work as a BDSM trainer, Mistress Eva also hosts the T-Kink web series and the Safe Word podcast, and has also been featured in high-profile media outlets such as the Washington Post, Wired, Rolling Stone, In Style, Entrepreneur, Newsweek, Vice, ID, and Dazed. And you can learn much more about her at eva-o.com. Now, you will please me, and we are pleased to have Eva O on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. It's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it the first five. First time you ever felt like you were a little bit different? Uh, four. <laughs> and what made you feel different? Um, I think I've always been an observer. And I think when you have that perspective, you tend to take a step back and see the world rather than just diving headfirst into it. And so you see how other people interact. But what really kind of, I guess, tipped me off was when I acquired a stepbrother <laughs> and I figured out how he worked pretty quickly and I pushed all of his buttons and it was fabulous. And I didn't understand why other people were not doing the same thing. <laughs> a 
leads me into my second of the first five. First time any human bowed at your feet oh, and your reaction that. to it. It was more crying and great satisfaction. <laughs> but he deserved it. He really did. He really tried a few things on me. So, First time you ever saw something that you wrote in a major publication and how did it make you feel? Something that I wrote in a major publication, like an international one. Well, I've seen things like the Washington Post, Rolling Stone, In Style and Wired that you've been featured in so yeah, yeah so it wasn't necessarily me writing but it was things that i had featured and i think that's been going on for a while even before i was a dominatrix i had different companies that were featured so and i and it happened when i was in my 20s already so i think i've been quite spoiled <laughs> how did it feel it felt nice but i don't think i've ever done things for the recognition Mm -hmm. So it was more like, oh, that's nice. And then I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate it for sure, but it's not the driver, I guess. First time you knew that sex work was what you really wanted to do. Oh, about a year into sex work. <laughs> it definitely took uh, some figuring out to see how it sat, but... But yeah, I think the first time I had a professional dom, like DS uh, domination session, I was very clear how happy it made me, what, what a thrill it was. But I think sex work as an industry, I think it became obvious that how much I fit when I had really gotten kind of my hands a little bit dirtier. <laughs> first time you knew you were in love with tea. Oh, hey, that cannot be one of the, the questions you ask everybody. In love with tea. I have this strange thing where I don't really recognize things until my friends mention them. <laughs> so, like, for example, I found a fellow latex fetishist recently, and I always thought, oh, I'm not a fetishist, you know, I just like it. But then the conversations that can come out of me are intense and long, and I have opinions about everything. And it was the same with tea. I poured tea for a friend. Normally I only pour it for myself, but it was Christmas and I felt like sharing. And she was like, you're really, you're deep into this. And I thought, oh, oh okay, I guess I am. <laughs> that was maybe a few years ago now. Yeah. Hi, this is Jane Boone, the author of the novel Edge Play. It's a revenge fantasy where the big short meets 50 shades of gray. Only the women wield the whips and the billionaires submit. You can find it at Amazon in paperback or for your Kindle. And be sure to check out my episode with Tara Indiana right here on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you. Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works, real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find poly and people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. 
Hi, this is Rachel Leadham, aka The Conscious Masochist. I'm an author and sadomasochism integration mentor who encourages the mindful exploration of your dark side. I offer astrological birth chart readings to interpret your sadomasochistic blueprint through the clues found within your chart. You can learn more about my work, including the ebook Conscious Masochism, at my website, www.rachelleadham.com. And join us on Instagram at The Conscious Masochist. And be sure to check out my episode in the archives of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the Total Archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's get back to what women and other wonderful humans want. Eva O is known as Mistress Eva, and you can find her on places like youwillpleaseme.com, the aforementioned tea kink, and the Safe Word podcast. I did want to ask as we got started, when you decided that you wanted to get into sex work, it was a very big departure from what you were doing, which you seem to be pretty successful in. What changed? Um, so I was doing strategic consulting just before this. I've been in a few different roles. And each of those roles happened because I was just following my curiosity. Um, and I was mostly doing consulting work. So sorry. That's okay. I was mostly doing consulting work um, on a freelance basis so I could choose my clients. And it was all very interesting and short, <laughs> mm -hmm. kind of delivered. And then I moved on. But what happened was that I joined an agency. And when I joined the agency, it made it really obvious to me where the priorities of the corporate clients lay, which was only in the bottom line, really. And that was just not interesting to me. Before, when I was involved in the contract research stage, it was always like about the customer, the consumer, the person in front of us, but it became so obvious that it was about the money. And I guess I, I got really upset and I thought I can't, I am so naive, but I can't do this. And I, what am I going to do? Yeah, so. One thing that sex work is always about is about the connection. You cannot have any role in sex work without feeling like you're totally connected with either the person you're playing with the person you're providing content for, or the person you're building content for. What makes a good connection for you? What makes a good connection for me? I think um, for me, it's different. For the person in front of me, it's gonna be different also, I think. I think what makes me successful with the people who I am successful with is that we can both handle a level of intensity and involvement and vulnerability. And <laughs> yeah, I probably work on a slightly more intense level than others, but in general, what makes a nice connection? Being able, even if it's momentary, I think just being able to surrender um, a, the facade for even a little while can make for a nice connection, even for a few hours here and there. Yeah, I think that makes for the nice one. Is there a proper way or something that gets no, gets noticed by you when somebody approaches you for the first time? What is the thing that makes you sit back and go, I think this is going to be good? 
in real life or over the internet? Let's talk about both. Let's talk about real life first. All right. So I think like how I just mentioned that people are happy to step out of a facade and to just be vulnerable and to communicate real emotion. And it doesn't have to be, you know, over the top, let's, let's just go into an emotional space, but to be honest with how they're feeling about whatever it is that they're feeling, that they're experiencing at that point in time. I think I just like seeing honesty and just humanity up front. And I move closer to that instinctively. I like to have that in, in my world. Um, whether that's friends or partners or playmates, however, I just like to see, you know, a, a human <laughs> as opposed mm -hmm. to what they're trying to just project. And I understand that that's also part of how people can work, but having that extra layer is just not where I'm at. Um, and then when it comes to online, because I have very specific channels, whether it's youwillpleaseme.com, where there are courses and people take those courses and I'm notified when people do that well, that's always impressive because to do that very well is not like an easy task. Mm -hmm. And also I have application forms to play with me face-to-face uh, -face. and those application forms go into questions to do with me and how to serve me as opposed to only about the person who's typing within those fields. And so I think if they can, if they show that they've done a little bit of research and understood where I'm coming from, that's a really good basis because I guess you spend so much time in this industry, in, in the sex industry, and it's always, yeah, about the person coming and presenting what they want to you. But I think I'm at a space in my head where I, I kind of want, because I give so much of my energy and who I am that I kind of want them to try to meet me at least. What are some of the key questions that you ask and want a good answer for before you will say, yes, this is a good match for me? Good answers really, really vary, which is quite, quite nice. And the people who I have in my inner circle are also quite different from each other. So it's nice for me to know that there isn't like a singular thing that I can be flexible, that good comes in many forms. Um, however, one of the questions is why do you want to serve me? And I think, and I think it surprises me also the level of insight that some of the people who come to me have. So it can be about the way that I spoke in a particular article. It can be the way that I express myself when I respond to like a challenging question. You know, it can be like a very particular thing that kind of sparks something for them. And it's like, oh, you have made that connection with me already. And so that's very sweet. And I'm going to think about engaging with that maybe a little bit more. Yeah. In all the interviews that I have done, one thing seems to be clear, and that is that vulnerability is one of the biggest aspects of kink. Talk a little bit about that, if you would. Vulnerability as the biggest. Well, I guess just on a surface level, so many people shun kinkiness and exploration of an explosion of sexuality. So on a surface level, society's rejected you in, in many ways. And so to find somebody else to be in that space with already like lets you drop down those layers into a vulnerable space. But I think also the way that we, especially when we invest in fetishes as opposed to just like kinks to fetishes as opposed to as something that we 
uh, are needing as opposed to joys that we're indulging in but don't necessarily need <laughs> fetishes versus kinks so especially when it comes to maybe fetishes and it's been these integral parts of our psyche i think that it's very revealing <laughs> of ourselves and so we can so we end up just automatically stepping into this space of vulnerability and when we meet within that space we can share that story of the yes the societal rejection but also the intimacy with our sexuality and our identities and how that interacts with somebody else so i think that's a it's a very special raw inner kind of space that you know exploring kink bdsm can really promote keeping folks safe with privacy is there a story that you can share with me where you know that through working with you, a huge difference was made in the way that someone sees themselves? Yeah. I mean, this happens all, all the time. <laughs> this happens all the time. It can happen in a way where people start to accept their desires and when you accept yourself in a more whole form, it becomes a more positive life experience for you. It can also be, especially because the way that I interact with my subs, it's not one hour, two hour sessions like it was at the beginning. Now, like the minimum that I kind of do is, you know, like two, three days and we'll spend much longer together. And these are really like long-term engagements and relationships essentially. And so what happens is, especially towards the beginning, um, there's a period of acclimatization where I notice a lot of things that may or may not work for me. And the things that don't work for me, I, I have to bring to the surface very quickly. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to stand them. You know, and if I want to share space, if they want to share space, these things need to be out in the open and they need to be addressed. And a lot of the times, because of the way that I do end up pricing my tributes, that does mean that a lot of very privileged people are the ones who are getting access to that time with me. And those people in particular have a lot of things that need to get checked. You know, there's a very specific way of perceiving the world that they have been buffered within. And for me to be able to share time with that, they need to at least understand that about themselves. And I think once you have that reflection and that understanding of your own privilege, your whole world shifts, you know, like you start to allocate better resources to parts of the company that maybe you didn't before, or you start to support organizations that I do, or, you know, th things like things like that. You start to have different relationships with your families um, because you understand their strife more because I tell you so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> things like this. Yeah. So it's yeah, a lot of change is possible. Yeah. How did you start? <laughs> yeah. So I had an ex who's actually living in New York and we meet like once a week now, but <laughs> maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Wow. No, no more. It would be more, right? It would be 13, 14 years ago. Mm -hmm. This ex just, we, we were towards the beginning of our relationship just said to me, Oh, you would make a, a an interesting dominatrix. And I brought that up to them lately. 
and they said, "Oh, I think it was like partially a joke, but I." <laughs> but, but it was something I heard and I stored away in the back of my mind. I was not practicing kink in a conscious way back then. I didn't understand that how I was was any particular way. But when I was going through that transition where I wanted to move away from corporate and I needed to think about something that was more aligned with my values, I, that kind of came to the surface. And I thought, you know what, this is the time to just research, have a look, just try. And I was lucky that I was in Sydney at the time where sex work was decriminalized. Mm -hmm. And I found a BDSM dungeon and they were looking for apprentice mistresses. And I went and applied and yeah, that was that. That's how I got started. <laughs> <laughs> had you put kink into your life before that with your partner or as a part of a lifestyle I didn't know I didn't know what kink was really I just had a general idea of the archetype of like what a dominatrix kind of visually looks like and maybe some attitude things, but I didn't understand the nuance in any way. And I didn't really understand the different possible ways of playing either. I was very assertive sexually and also within relationships. I, I could voice what I wanted always. That was always like a, never a thing for me. Now I realize that a lot of women don't do that. But back then I had, you know, only myself to answer to. <laughs> and so I was just what I was doing. And yeah, that's what that partner picked up on. But no, I didn't until my very first interview. And I went and they said, come in. And I said, please give me some like research material or something. I have no idea what I'm walking into. And my headmistress did. She gave me a bunch of different books and yeah, threw, threw me in the deepish end. <laughs> How much did your psyche and attitude have to change to do sex work? Or did you always have domineering tendencies in your past business where you were somebody who took care of business and everybody knew it? Hmm. So I think domination is one thing and sex work is another. Okay. I think to step into the role of listen to what I'm saying and do it was very natural and easy. I think I have definitely refined it over time and how to understand how to do that as responsibly as possible and with more nuance to life, the person in front of me, myself, uh, such as life, we all learn. But I think when it came to sex work, I have never been an automatically judgmental person I, I, for whatever reasons. And so I didn't have the stigma as much so attached as maybe your average person in the society where it's criminalized. Mm, and so I didn't walk in with that kind of headspace. And I just learned as I went along. But to learn how marginalized it was and to deal with that was probably the hardest thing that I had to learn. Mm -hmm. The job itself was fine. I really enjoyed intimacy. I enjoyed like, figuring people out and being there with them and like playing with each other. And so that part was fine. You know, it was more, oh, I'm rejected now by the rest of society. Mm. Huh, <laughs> how am I gonna figure that out? And I had to do that through education and community. And yeah, yeah. so that's, that's a work in progress still. 
you talk about the fact that sex work is misunderstood, that people shun you, that there's a stigma around it. And it's so sad to me because at least here in the States, we accept violence as something that is perfectly fine to put in media, but trying to make somebody feel good, eh, maybe not so much. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? This, this concept of sexuality still being kind of lorded over by these puritanical ideals. It's, it's just so ancient in a way and for a somewhat progressive society, it's amazing how in the dark ages, the minds still are, but uh, maybe we'll get there. Maybe. Do you think it might be because some people are scared of their authentic selves and have to hide behind something else? I think that that exact thing that you just mentioned, that whole <laughs> scenario within people's minds is a result though of the way that societies have been formed, you know, under puritanical ideals, under uh, religious governments, under religious states, telling, telling people over and over, generation over and over and over again to feel that way because that's how we can control you and your actions and your reproduction. And, and I think that's just really, unfortunately locked itself even in a modern mind. So yeah, how do we untangle that? <laughs> and when we return with Eva O oh on what women and other wonderful humans want, we'll talk a little bit about her background and how she has a worldwide view of everything kink when we return. Hi, my name is Leanne and I am the owner of Polyphilia, where you can get your daily fix of memes dedicated to polyamory, ethical non-monogamy and personal growth in open relationships. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Polyphilia Blog, spelt P-O-L-Y-P-H-I-L-I-A-B-L-O-G. I hope to see you there and please also check out my episode on what women and other wonderful humans want. Hello, I'm Jessie Sage from Peep Show Media. Peep Show Media is a multimedia magazine bringing news and stories from the sex industry. Be sure to check out our website at peepshowmedia.com for essays, porn reviews, events, interviews, news stories, and more. Also, make sure to listen to our podcast, The Peep Show Podcast, anywhere you get podcasts. And for a bit more of a personal glance into my life, make sure to check out my January 15th interview on what women and other wonderful humans want. Do you want to leave us a comment, thought, or have something to contribute to the show? You can now call or text us at the 3W hotline at 513-788-2527. That's 513-788-2527. Or drop us an email at john, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. That's john, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Eva O is an international and professional and lifestyle dominatrix of British and Asian descent. Growing up in Asia, Australia, and Europe, you're currently in New York City, but you reside in Bali, Indonesia. Yes. Wow. Where does your mail come to? <laughs> People are receiving my mail everywhere and sending it to where I am. <laughs> as having such a worldwide background 
enabled you to understand different kind of people as opposed to what we may have in America as this American first view and our way is the right way? I mean, yes and no. I think it's been able to make me, um, to widen my mind and to make me adaptable, but there are still some things that puzzle me about people everywhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't, um, probably, I probably am very good at making people not feel judged and to make people feel like they can understand and connect with me, but it doesn't mean that there are aspects of them that don't puzzle me still. What was young Eva like? How young? <laughs> Let's say formative years. So like his childhood. Observant. Um, probably a little bit too cautious. I think I've only learned how to like let loose lately. <laughs> Um, very sweet, loved, loved her family deeply, so romantic with my love, and I think I still am actually, but when I look back to like childhood me, it was like so full of like romantic love, <laughs> it was quite amazing, um, very happy, like pottering around, doing my own thing, curious, yeah, but I had a great, great family and especially my mother really gave me such a wonderful way of experiencing the world so I'm, I'm very lucky to have had a lot of traits that have really been very beneficial for me how much of eva o and i will call it the character mm. is in eva o the human uh, <laughs> i yeah i have this thing where i can't separate yeah, so it's essentially the same. It's 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 the same. You're who you speak to now is who I spoke to 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 my dear friend earlier. Who I, how I speak to my mother as much as I can. <laughs> mm -hmm. I get a bit shy sometimes sharing details with her, but but yeah, it's I like being cohesive because that's just how my mind works. I know some people are very good at compartmentalizing, but I'm just not that. I'm not built like that. So it's, it's one and the same. And of course, you're going to see different aspects based on mood, based on tiredness or however, but essentially there's no more separation. You talked about the stigma in sex work. How much have you had to face being stigmatized yourself? Yeah, so in all different facets. So towards the beginning, I didn't handle or shield myself from it as well. And so I would, you know, just be quite free about it because that's how I, I felt free within it, you know, and I just wanted to be, be coherent with myself and just share what it is that I did with whoever. And it was a legal like thing also in Australia at that time. So I did, but the reactions that would come would puzzle me. No, people never reacted that way to me before whether it's like physically recoiling or you know like saying oh what happened to you that 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 you had to choose to do that it's like really <laughs> that's where your mind goes to mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that was very very what i felt were personal hurts you know at the beginning and then over time so many things have happened you know i'm 
I have like teetering on the edge of social media, which is like an expressive way to connect with people. I, I'm almost, I've had one account totally taken down and all the people I had connected with there taken away from me. And then I have to build that up again. And I also like access to financial products. I'm not allowed to be, you know, with this provider or that provider. So I have to go through other means and they take 20% from me. So there's all sort of, sort of different ways that, the world is close to me. You know, I can't just walk into wherever and open an account and it has to be within these confines. It's just like financial like ways that there's violence done against me. There's like personal attacks. It's just, it's just a very complete like holistic way that, you know, sex workers are shunned, unfortunately. Did anything in business prepare you for this? For, for which part? For having to deal with all the challenges you have to face just to make a living? I think that who I am, I'm very lucky to be very adaptable and to know that there's always a way, even if it ends up being the one and only way out of all the other possibilities for everyone else, I'm going to find that way. And so I think that resilience and that adaptability and that like sense of you know what do you like creativity within constraint I think I've always had that um and that is what has helped me now also what is your favorite type of play (gasps) (laughs) so many the ones two types the ones where I I just laugh in absolute glee and joy with one person or many, or it's so deep and intense and my heart goes to a place where I almost don't, I'm not there anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then all the things that happen within them, there are many things. It <sighs> sounds like from that answer, you have the high of joy the absolute elation of everything going as you want. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there's this passion inside you that kind of brings you down to this intense feeling of hyper-focus on what you're doing. That's an amazing spectrum to be able to go back and forth on. Discuss that a little bit, if you will. (laughs) discuss that I've just lived it yeah all right so discussing that Uh, and I think I can go between those very very quickly Mm -hmm. yeah and there's probably elements of them within each other in my general state of mind as as well Um, I find life like such a like holding such beautiful potential in the creative possibility and therefore the uh, emotional satisfaction that I can get after I interact with it in as creative a way as I could possibly dream of. And yeah, I think it's just like a whole canvas and playground, you know, the person in front of me, the interaction in between us. And I'm not afraid of aspects of my own emotion as well, you know, like whether that's I can, I think it was because I used to be quite a heavy meditator, especially, but I have a a deep familiarity with a lot of 
facets of my emotion. And that can even be something as really what people shy away from anger. I'm very, very familiar with extreme anger and rage also in myself. And I can approach it in a way that's still responsible at this stage because I've experienced it so many times and I've learned how to deal with it. So I guess I'm not afraid of my own emotion either. And so I just go for it. <laughs> What's in front of me? What does it require? Or what can I do with it? And I'm going to just go for it. Yeah. Especially now, after we've all been in lockdown for so long, I just find myself like, I'm tired, but I'm going to go and I'm going to fight and I'm going to be and I'm going to interact and I want to feel all the things, you know, so. What's the most important thing that kink has done for you? I think it's made me understand what real joy can feel like. Yeah. It's so playful, potentially. And you get pushed to all those different edges of your own emotion, those within others. And it's really, it's made life so full. And I'm sure there's probably other ways to do it, but this is, yeah, this is a very particular way where we set aside time to really understand and like dive deep and feel large. And yeah, and so it's really expanded my, my perception, how much I can enjoy just the day-to-day, you know, and to play also. Mm -hmm. It really taught me that I can play anytime, even with, like, somebody at the convenience store, you know, you can just, like, have a little, like, like funny little thing that you say back and and they get, like, a little chuckle and you're like, yeah, see, that could be fun too. Just things like that, I guess, you know, makes life a little bit funnier, amusing. You have a guide to what you do, oh. the Sex Work Guide Business and Touring Strategies, published in English and Japanese. Tell me what inspired that and tell me a little bit about that work. Yeah, so people ask me all the time about how I run things, how I structure things, and especially how I travel because I I mean, like you've noticed, I guess it's a lot for, for most people. And so instead of repeating myself, I thought I'm just going to write this thing and I'm just going to send it to you. And it's going to be a community resource and everything that it's about $40. And, and like every single cent that I get that I don't have to give to the payment processor, I give to a charity in, in Asia nice. also. So it's, I really feel like it's a bit of my contribution also to our industry in a way. And um, yeah, so whenever somebody asks me, so how do you do this? I'm like, read this first and then come to me after. <laughs> if you still have more specific questions. Yeah, and it just yeah, details how I do things and why I do things and how I got here a little bit. Yeah. Is there a difference in how you would have to approach a client in the States versus in Asia? Mm, well, we don't work here because it's just too dangerous to gallop to. Mm-hmm. But I do have Americans um, who serve me. And are they different? I think that I've been able to set myself up in a way so that people who fit me come towards my way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't think it's necessarily too different. I think there's a little bit of retraining that does need to happen. And that maybe if I didn't have my process, it would have to be much more retraining 
but essentially it's a very individualistic society. Um, it's very service-based. So even when there's supposed to be a dynamic, a lot of the times it's not. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of what also I hear from um, fellow doms. And so I think there would probably need to be more training according to how I like things. Um, but you know, the, there's fits for everyone. Just about finding them. In Asia, um, it's already very much a hierarchical society. So there's a lot of like the, the way that I speak that I don't have to justify, the way that I require things to happen, yeah, which is nice and a little bit more automatic, maybe. But I would say that you know, there are variations within people everywhere. You approach kink from so many different ways, from your tea kink presentations, which are on YouTube, where you talk to dominatrices while having tea, which I love. And then you've had these conversations on Instagram Live, and uh, it's amazing how just softball the topics are, like BDSM and religion, <laughs> BDSM and the workplace. Uh, <laughs> Could you pick an easier topic? <laughs> I like easy. I like the challenge. It keeps my mind stimulated. <laughs> What's been the most interesting conversation you've had in one of those Instagram lives? Is there anything that has just totally surprised you about a topic that's been brought to you? I think what's been the most surprising is how engaged people are and how hungry they are. I think that's been the, the most surprising. So many wonderful questions, a lot of crap ones too. Mm -hmm. Like so many really engaged, thoughtful, and I am looking for an answer to something that's actually real and relevant. I think that's been really the most surprising. How many people are desperate for that information, you know? And I've really liked that. Is there a favorite conversation so far? I think I'm like, I've got like a, maybe a, a bigger picture view than pointed, but bigger picture would be that it's been very, you know, like talking to you today, it's very revealing for me. There's a lot of things that I just do that I just live mm -hmm. that I don't break down, that I don't think about. And so when you're asking me these very, really like specific and wonderfully thought out questions, it's really good process for me to be like, oh, that's what I think. That's why, you know, and I think that those Q and A's that I do on Instagram Live are very helpful for me. It's all mm -hmm. about me. <laughs> In the end, yeah, yeah, no, not sure, not sure. So, which ones of those like kind of spoke to you? I think the BDSM and workplace thing may very well have been the thing that I most can relate to. And I will share a story that tells a little bit more about me than I usually share in public. But I used to work with a gymnastics team. And as a guy with a spandex fetish, you could easily think that, oh, God, you know why he loves working with a gymnastics team. But I totally separated that because I'm a professional and I'm able to do that. I'm guessing some other people can't. Oh, yes. Yeah. And the question I was actually going to ask you is, uh, as the follow-up to this was, 
do you have a very good radar that can tell the difference between hungry and thirsty? <laughs> so thirsty is an American term, right? So that means like desperate for it. Yeah. Okay. Um, do I have a radar? Oh, some people are so good because they have been hiding it for so much of their lives that they are good at hiding mm -hmm. it, you know, and you only start to kind of see if they have been drinking or if it's been a long time or if you really hit the right spot and you see their eyes open in a certain way that you have not seen before. I think that, I think maybe for the general population, yeah, sure, I can probably spot when people are just getting little side glances at my feet. <laughs> or their eyes suddenly like uh, when I bring out like a rubber jacket or something <laughs> yeah so I think I noticed those things a little bit more than the average person but because fetishists have had to hide things for so long they've become so good at it and I think it's hard even for me you know sometimes to see it yeah. and also like when you talk about spandex and I talk about latex for for me, mm -hmm. it's about the material. It's not necessarily about the body within it. You know, it's mm -hmm. like the body can kind of be irrelevant sometimes. It's like, oh, the material. <laughs> so in a way, it's even more innocent than maybe some people understand it to be. So like my two cents. I am actually, <clears throat> I started working out thanks to a guest that we had on here, Master Trinity, who is... Uh, an amazing fitness trainer and latex fetishist <laughs> and dominatrix. And after talking to her, I said, I'm going to start working out. So to get me to work out, I said, I'm going to go back to the 80s and I'm going to enjoy putting on a leotard and tights or a cat suit and do my exercising and it makes it fun for me. <laughs> and then, and this is the part you'll be interested in, if I can get down to this certain weight that's my goal, I'm gonna treat myself to a latex cat suit because I've been wanting to make the transition to that. Wow, yeah. So that's my goal as I look forward, but that was me trying to figure out a way because I don't like working out, no. but I'm making it, it fun because I can look down and see this beautiful sheen on my legs and go, yeah, I'm working it. That's good. Yeah. And latex also has to be like the perfect size. You don't want to go up and down. And mm -hmm. So it's like, you got to work towards a very specific thing. That's nice. Nice. Well done on you for setting your goals. Thank you. Mm. Uh, here is my question for you about being a latex fetishist. And uh, also I've, I've seen pictures of you in a cat suit and you are absolutely lovely. Describe what it's like for you to wear a latex cat suit. Ooh. So I've worn latex pieces for a long time, but when I wore a cat suit was the first time that I realized, oh God, I really like this because it's about the encasement of it that does it for me. You know, I don't mind little pieces, but it's really about the full coverage that is my thing. And so I think it's 
I'm not sure why I feel so comfortable in it. Some people feel like they're freaking out in it, but for me, I feel better than not having it on. I feel like it's this permanent like hug that's going on. Yeah. And I feel very free in it also. Like I can move, but I shouldn't be able to move as much as I could without it on, right? So I'm not sure what's happening there. And also like I wore a cat suit to a party last week and a corset. And I felt super, super comfortable, super free. It's, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's just like the closest thing to being naked for me, but at the same time being held. It's all the good things. <laughs> A perfect description. Two things I will add. Number one, I think it can feel, especially latex, can feel like an armor for someone who wears it. Yes. Yeah. It makes bodies just, it holds bodies so beautifully. It's like, it really doesn't matter what kind of body. Uh, it, they like all, just something about latex makes everything just look like that's exactly how things should be. <laughs> the other part of it that I love uh-huh. is the fact that when I am wearing a catsuit, yeah. I can think at any moment of any part of my body whether it's the back of my knee or the top of my shoulder. And no matter what I think of, there's a sensation there. Mm, that's a really nice way to think about it. Yeah, that's a very nice way. To think and it about creates, it. and you say you like to meditate, it creates yeah. this mindfulness exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe I'm like a, uh, how do you say, a sensation junkie. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. A little bottle of Shiner out with me on Friday. And I totally lost the bottle because I was like pouring it on me and getting like random people to just like rub me up. It was fabulous. (laughs) (sighs) What a life. (laughs) That's wonderful. And I'm so envious. Let's talk a little bit about your podcast, the Safe Word Podcast with Dirk Hooper. I've heard a couple of editions of that. You all seem to have a really good chemistry. Yeah, yeah. So I, I noticed Dirk when I first joined social media maybe four years ago now and super active and I kind of reached out and asked him for some advice about certain things and did a little bit of consulting for me, which was nice. Um, but he was always so polite and understood what I was saying like from the moment that I let it out of my mouth, I thought, ah, I'm going to remember this person. And so when I started to think about different ways where I could contribute to the community, where I could create things that were not just, you know, because like shooting videos for like a a porn perspective is like fine, but it's not my strength, I guess. Mm -hmm. What I really love is information and talking and things like this. And so, I thought, okay, I want to do this, but I want more of a dynamic than just me talking all the time. So who can I do it with? Who is like different to me? You know, mm-hmm. who is not another Dom? And because I have so many Dom friends, who's going to give me a different perspective? Who's going to like challenge me? And I thought, but also be like polite, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, I'm going to ask her. I'm going to ask her to do this. And it's a great show. I've enjoyed listening to episodes. I don't know if I have ever had a guest on the show Mm -hmm. 
that has been immortalized in a portrait and oh. has an entire archive oh, yeah. in an institute dedicated to her. How oh, did all well, this happen? The institute's dedicated to um, fetish, like worldwide, and it's in um, London, the Bishopsgate Institute. But yeah, how did it happen? They asked me if I wanted to just submit my stuff to it, because I have so much stuff, I guess. And they've collected things, uh, especially for our, from like the gay leather community. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of how they started, inching their ways into the wider world of kink. And yeah, so I, I'm very, I have this crazy organization kink also. And so I have all of my stuff very neatly. Like, <laughs> to them, and they're like, wow, we don't have to do much, okay. <laughs> and that was it. And I'm probably gonna give them a few hard copy things um, when I go to London in a few weeks, in a month or so. Yeah, yeah. But the portrait is by Sardax, who's a very famous femdom artist and one of my uh, slaves commissioned it. It's quite an interesting portrait. I don't know if you've seen it. I have not seen it, but I can imagine that if it captures half the aura that you have, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> it's very kind. Sardex did a, a lovely little process of um, like chatting to me, and he made the suggestion um, to seat me like Guan Yin, who's the goddess of mercy. Um, yeah, who's like uh, it's a raging, a very important goddess. She says the goddess of mercy, but she, she rules... Uh, of many things and um to have and i wanted my sub girl aria lux at my feet and i wanted um everyone else that serves me kind of coming up as little spirits <laughs> so that's the portrait <laughs> as you do <laughs> so as we are starting to come out of covid as july starts to head to august and the fall and winter coming up. What projects do you have that you'd like folks to know about? Yeah, so I'm very like organic about things. I, I keep doing courses for youwillpleaseme.com. It's kind of the only ongoing thing. And then for Tea Kink, I did an event in New York actually a few weeks ago, and I'm just doing a little event video for that now. I invited about 15 dominatrices based in New York for like tea and like a little bits of food and cocktails and stuff and you know, just widening widening other people to experience tea what else? i'm going to be talking at a festival the wilderness festival uh with a, another dominatrix friend of mine adrina um in early august outside of london uh, yeah just there's a few things <laughs> things will be happening things will be happening i'll be going to all the parties mm -hmm. in london all of them. <laughs> I was jokingly visualizing you having tea with 15 dominatrices and saying jokingly to myself, yeah. if I could be a fly on the wall. And then I realized that uh, chances are they would possibly have somebody hanging on the wall while they're <laughs> having tea. And it was just something funny that crossed my mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was at a, like a, a tea house that I really like. And I mm -hmm. didn't make them experience that but I just I have a new house in Bali and that's what I do at dinners sometimes I hang people from like a cage on an electrical hoist and like let them hang there like a little bird while we have dinner or I attach people underneath the table I have a glass top so you can see them I tie them under in the middle and yeah 
<laughs> different things. But yeah, dinners are a little bit kinky with, with my mind, <laughs> always. It just sounds amazing. <laughs> Life is fun. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> so we will make sure that we put all the different ways you can connect with Eva O in our show notes. Is there any place in particular you want to make sure that they turn their attention to? Well, it depends. I think if you want to get closer to me, you will please me.com is, you know, and, and you are interested in being a submissive. That's probably the forum to really get to know me because I have all of these courses that teach you about how I perceive things, how I like my feet worshipped, how I like gifts, or just different things like this. Um, but if you wanted to just have more general information about me, see a myriad of interviews that I've done. Uh, Eva-O.com has like most of them. Yeah, on social media, you can find me at You Will Please Me. So I think those are the places, really. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today, and you're just such a joy to talk to, and uh, I really appreciate you being with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. It was really fun. It was so much fun to visit with Mistress Eva and hear about her worldwide tales of domination and also her love of latex. I think we might have that in common. And that'll do it for this episode of the show. I'm John, also known as Hi There, Catsuit, thanking you for being with us and reminding you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What women and other wonderful humans want connects with you. Leave us a message at 513-788-2527. And we invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. We're kinky done differently.